morning. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 to 24, which can be found on page 1047 in the Church Bibles. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, this morning I pray, loving Heavenly Father, would you help our eyes to be open? Would you help us to have ears to hear? Would you help our minds to be renewed and our hearts to receive you today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as uh, those of you who are here relatively regularly will know, we're spending time going through the Gospel of Luke, um, looking this year, and looking at the person and Luke's account of the person of Jesus. In the first nine chapters or so, what we see laid out is the identity of who Jesus is. And in a sense, those first nine chapters actually beg a decision for us. Who do we think Jesus is? Because that matters. Because what you then find is, post nine onwards, is what you find out is that what Jesus is doing and what Luke is recording is, Jesus is showing his followers what it means to follow him, what the kingdom of God looks like, what the implication of being a follower of Jesus is. This morning, though, we're going to take a look at this passage. You're going to think about the theme of the great banquet. We're going to look at the second part of the passage. What I'd like us to do before I begin, though, is this. I'd like you to talk to the person near, near to you, and I'd like you to think for a minute. I'm going to give you 20 seconds to think. I'd like you to think through what's the most memorable meal you've ever had. I'd like you to think through a meal that you've had with somebody or with some people, and that the most memorable meal you can remember. And then I'd like you to talk to the person next to you and to tell you what it was and why it was so memorable. Some of you look quite stumped by that, but off you go. <laughs> Try your best, that's okay. <laughs> Okay, if I give you 30 more seconds. Okay, and actually, I wasn't planning to do this. It'll take a little bit more time. Anybody want to share an amazing meal they've had? And then I will tell you one of mine. Right, let me do this quite quickly. 
I went yesterday to somebody's 100th birthday party. He'd driven himself there in a car. He, he drank wine during the meal. He made a speech and he broke into a song of spontaneous praise from his youth in the course of that speech. That, that's quite difficult to beat, actually. <laughs> uh, anybody else want to have a go? Just, just bear with me. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Shirley suggested I should say this. Okay. Uh, it was in a Muslim village in Gambia. And um, first, it was a whole family living in a compound. And um, someone would come along with a bowl of water and a towel. So we each washed our hands as we went round. And then we dived in with our hands like this, scooping the food, which was mainly fish, because it was on the coast, fish and rice. And we ate together. That was special. Great, one more. I've got two contrasting examples. One, I remember having fish finger sandwiches for Christmas lunch once uh, <laughs> with, uh, with our family, mainly because we were going to travel and have a dinner with um, Hannah's um, family. So, but that, I actually remember the fish finger sandwiches more. Um, but the second one, and that one just triggered mine, actually. I, I, uh, my, my brother used to be a missionary in Burkina Faso, and uh, he worked in a, a village called Pugli Village, and um, they had, had no written language. And my brother um, is a linguist, and he was there to transcribe their language into writing so they could translate the Bible for them. And he was there for a few years, and, and I went out to visit him when I was 18. Um, and, I, and when we arrived, they'd laid on a meal for us, and it was, uh, it was a huge deal for them. So they, they actually killed a chicken and um, cooked the chicken for us as a kind of a big gesture, a huge gesture. Um, and as a guest of honor, um, I was allowed the first piece um, and of course, trying to be as respectful as possible. And he said, don't, you know, take the piece you want, because that's what they want. So I chose the breast piece and um, everyone started laughing at me because um, apparently the breast piece is what they saved for the women and the children and the men, <laughs> they ate the claws and the head and like got the marrow. For, yeah, yeah, so, so I was mocked mercilessly for <laughs> having what I thought was the best piece. Great, thank you. Um, I'm just gonna leave it there for the minute, Wendy, if that's all right. Um, as I was taking time this week to think about it, there's a number of meals that come to mind for me. But one of them was this, is that when I was 18, no, about 19, I spent a summer in Berlin in Germany with a missionary organization. And most of the time, we're involved uh, doing street work, going door to door, sharing the good news of Jesus in all sorts of different ways, creative ways, practical ways. And we're doing that for about six weeks or so. And actually, it was amazing Saw people come to, loads of people come to faith. I was able to lead some people to faith, see God answer prayer in some miraculous ways. And so actually for me, it was just the, an amazing, it was formative. I was out of my comfort zone massively. And then right at the end, um, we were in the central square. There's a church just off the central square in Berlin. Uh, the, the kind of local churches wanted to do a thank you for us. And I walked into this church and the church was laden with food, absolutely laden with food. I was offended. I found it really difficult. I actually found it really difficult to receive other people's generous hospitality. It was a moment for me realizing 
that my image of God and who God was and who I was was being radically challenged. And it was uncomfortable. I got over that and obviously ate loads, uh, but that's another story when you were 19 and you're hungry and all those things. But there was something about a bounteous banquet that I found offensive as a 19-year-old. There was something about it that I don't forget. It became part of my journey of thinking, okay, so who is the God we worship? And what's he like? When I, uh, soon after, arrived here, I asked Esther, who was a curator, and said, uh, what kind of things have you done in the last few years in terms of preaching? One of the things Esther said is you actually did a series on the meals with Jesus in the New Testament. And, and so, actually, some of you may be familiar with some of the passages, uh, particularly this morning's passage. passage. Luke's Gospel is well known for having meals throughout it. James and I here at the same church in Winchester had a training incumbent who used to say, Tim, 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 read Luke's Gospel. There's a meal in every single chapter. You need to read it. It's got meals, everything. It's what meals is where it is. It's what happens. He was passionate about hospitality. According to one author who writes on Luke, he said this, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to meal at a meal or coming from a meal earlier on in Luke 7 and this is Jesus Jesus is quoted as saying the son of man that's Jesus describing himself as the prophetic figure from Daniel 7 the son of man came eating and drinking and you say people said of Jesus you say a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Meals appear throughout Scripture. I'm just going to put a little, uh, for those of you who like a bit of information and are big on the information, there are lots of meals in Luke's Gospel. There are at least 10 major passages where meals are at the center. Meals like at the Pharisee's house. Jesus had meals at the Pharisee's house. Simon was at tax collector's house. People like Zacchaeus. He was at friends' houses like Mary and Martha that we looked a few weeks ago. Or Jesus was breaking bread with his disciples. Jesus is meeting people from all backgrounds around the table. Sinners, those who see themselves as righteous, people who are rich and influential, people who are poor. And Jesus shares his life and their life with him. And at these meal tables, we see Jesus heals people, he feeds them, he teaches them and shows them what the kingdom of God looks like. He teaches them about mission and evangelism, about justice, and also obviously about salvation. One of the most striking things is Jesus doesn't fear his reputation from the company he keeps. Jesus doesn't fear his reputation from the company he keeps. Bear in mind, for example, to give an example, bear in mind the tax collectors were actually collaborators with the Romans and were occupying God's promised land. In fact, to many, they were seen as enemies of God. Yet Jesus sits and eats with them. It's an extraordinary expression of gospel grace. 
throughout Scripture, we see um, meals being at the heart of different things. We see in Isaiah, for example, Isaiah 25, the promise of the great messianic banquet where rich foods will never end. We see Jesus, Jesus um, anticipates this perpetual feast and meal with God when the feeding of the 5,000. Bear in mind, it's a meal that has more food at the end than it did at the beginning. The Last Supper, we're going to come and share communion together at the end of the service, where Jesus eats with his disciples and feasts together. The Bible story ends, as we know, in, in Revelation 19, with a meal where we celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. I was slightly disappointed that nobody said their wedding meal this morning when we talked about famous meals. But there we go. One or two husbands or wives might need to just kind of make peace a little bit this morning. Uh, but there we go. Meals as people, if you read any of the commentators any of the books, meals are an amazing opportunity for grace, for growing community, and for mission. Food expresses our dependence on God and also on other people. Meals embody friendship and welcome. And if they were so important to Jesus, if they were so key to his whole life, how important should they be to us this morning? I mean, all of us have to eat. Probably most of us have two or three meals a day. Who's round your table? Who is round your table at the minute? Is that the way you want it? Who's round your table? There are things you could do that would be different. I'm actually going to take some time just to look at the second part of the passage that we read in Luke 14. It's the passage of the great banquet that we see and from 14, verse 12, verse 12 onwards, essentially. But it really just ties in a lot with the first 11 verses too. And we're here what we find, and if you have it open in front of you, you might find it helpful. Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God is a great feast. It's a magnificent feast, but it's maybe not the feast you'd expect. Because it is a, it is a feast for the humble. It's a feast for the humble. And as we look at it, maybe you can think a little bit more about where you sit with it. What we see is, first of all, Jesus responds to a man who says, Blessed is a man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In verse 15, it's a place where there will be no more hunger, no more sadness, no more pain, no more sign, where joyfulness will be the mark of that feast. I was saying um, about my experience in Berlin, but I think for many of us, when we think about our relationship with God or we think about Christianity or we think about the kingdom of God, what we have in mind is a frugal meal. Christianity, for so many of us, can basically come down to when we start to push beneath the surface of some of the things we say and some of the things we do. You know, don't smile too much. Don't show that you're too joyful. You know, keep your nose clean. Obey enough of the rules not to get noticed. Maybe serve once a month in a kind of charity soup kitchen so you can show that you care for the poor in some way. You know, stay in line. Keep things in line. 
ultimately though, if it's just that, Christianity becomes a joyless life. But you know, that's the price I've got to pay if I'm going to get to heaven. You know, that's, that's what it comes to. But is that Christianity? Is that the Christianity of Scripture? Is that the Christianity of Bible, of the Bible? Have we, have we unconsciously maybe got sort of drawn into this idea that Christianity is somehow mean? It's miserable? It's about being worthy and joyless? Instead, Jesus Christ says Christianity, the kingdom of God is a great banquet. I'm Lord of the feast, says Jesus, and I come to bring festival joy. Where my face turns, the trees laugh and sing. Where my feet pass, the desert blooms. Where are we with understanding Jesus, understanding what the kingdom of God is like? Having said this, in our passage this morning, we see the, regi- the reason Jesus tells this parable is to say the kingdom of God is a great banquet. But remember, it's not the kind of banquet you think. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we say what are the great parties we've been to, when we think about great meals, actually we can think it, actually it's all about who's invited to the party. You know, are our type of people there? Is it full of the trendy people, the people we want to be seen with? Is it full of the beautiful people, the famous people, the influential people, the right kind of connected people? You know, the best people. The people we like to rub shoulders with. The people like us. Surely those are the best parties. And what we see here is God's banquet. God's feast requires humility. I just want to look at four ways briefly to show that if you want to experience God's great banquet, we need to humble ourselves this morning. We're called to a hum- humility to experience his festival joy. So firstly, we need to humble ourselves to the pace of God's kingdom. Notice in our reading that the first you get the invitation, but the feast at this point, right at the beginning of the passage, is still being prepared. Verse 16, the kingdom of heaven is like a feast, but the feast is in preparation. You might come by and taste it. You might smell it. You get a lot of the joy in it, but in complete fullness, it's not coming till the end. The kingdom of God is like that. We taste it now, receive the power now, we receive God's salvation now. We can be healed now. We can be forgiven now. We can be, but our complete restoration won't happen until the last day. It's already here. God's kingdom is here. But we don't see it fully. And to enter a kingdom like that, to be part of God's kingdom, takes humility. It means you've got to humble yourself to the pace and the agenda of God's kingdom in your life. And sometimes that's a slow pace, and you've got to wait. Sometimes you've got to go to slow down. Let me give you an example. When our children were younger, um, I don't know about you, but if you've been a parent or you've had children's party, children's party weren't some of their easiest when our kids were particularly young. 
So, for example, on one of the children's party at 7 o'clock, there'll be a knock on the door, child will come bouncing in, and they'll say, is it time yet? Is it ready? You're still in bed. He's just waking up. He said, no, it's only 7 in the morning. The party isn't until the afternoon. There's still lots of things to do. At 8 o'clock, repeat that process. Kids come up to you say, is it time yet? Are we ready yet? Say, darling, it's, not, it's only 8 in the morning. The party's not till the afternoon. 9 o'clock, we repeat that process again, and we go through it. See, what happens is this, is that for children, we want it now. We want it now. As an adult, we say, look, there are things that need to happen first. There's an order. I'm the adult, you're the child. Just show some humility. I mean, you don't say that to the child, but that's essentially what you're saying. But you say, show some humility and wait. And wait. In the same way for us this morning, there might be many of us here who say, you know, yes, I do know intellectually that Jesus is Lord. I know in my head that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. And actually, you might have received his saving grace. That may even be 50, 60, 70 10, 2 years ago. There may be many things you can testify to God's saving grace in your life this morning, about receiving his love, about experiencing his healing power. But we still look around, as particularly in the last month we've had to do, and we still see suffering, we still see death that's painful and hard and real, and it's everywhere. And I don't know about you, but when I have to come alongside people, whether it's myself, my own family, or people here, or people out in the parish, you say, Lord, what's going on? There's so much suffering, there's so much death, there's so many hard things. What's going on? And ultimately, we get onto our knees before Jesus, like Mary. And we know that God says, look, dear child, wait with me. I still have things to do. Wait. We need to humble ourselves afresh to God's schedule and God's timing for his kingdom feast. Secondly, we've got to humble ourselves to the freeness of God's kingdom. He says, you'll see, come, for everything is now ready. The kingdom of God is not a restaurant. The kingdom of God is not a restaurant where you have to pay money to eat. Nor is the kingdom of God a bring and share supper where you have to bring your own contribution, your own meal, and bring it. Jesus says, come, for everything is now ready. See, the thing is this, you can't earn it, you can't merit it. It comes to you completely free. The kingdom of God comes to you completely free. But it has to be received. But it has to be received. Throughout scripture we see that the kingdom of God, the salvation of Jesus Christ, is something that must be received with humility. It can't be earned. It's received only. I know there'll be people here who feel, for example, this morning, who, when I push some buttons or I push past all the stuff in your life, you say, do you know, I'm not worthy of God. I've done too many bad things. 
And do you know what? I'm still doing the same bad things I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. There are habits, there are patterns, there are things in my life. And I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of this kingdom feast. The reality is you're the guilt and the shame that sits on your life means that you just don't feel acceptable to God. How could God truly love me? But it's pride that's really stopping you receiving him. It's an insult to your pride that purely you need to receive. Let me give you another example. So, for example, someone invites you to the most expensive restaurant, whether it's in Bath or whether it's in London even, where someone says, you know, I've paid for every person to come on this meal. I've put probably 500 pounds behind uh, on the tab for each person. If you go to the poshest restaurant in London, Heston Blumenthal or someone else, or you go to El Bulli in Spain, where it's literally hundreds of pounds. It's the greatest thing, the most extraordinary experience, but you have to come. And if you say, well, thanks for that invitation. Thanks for inviting me to this most amazing banquet, this most amazing uh, restaurant. But I'm just going to go home. I'm going to microwave a couple of my favorite TV dinners. I'm going to bring them with me. I'm going to bring them with me to the restaurant. I'd like to bring my dinner with me, thanks. In other words, you really treat it like a bring and share. Your friends would have the right say. You just don't understand the invitation that you're receiving. You've not grasped the freeness, the freeness of the invitation of being invited to the greatness of this restaurant. You're just insulting it by bringing your microwave dinner. You're actually ruining it. Now, all of us can probably say, and pride is a very funny thing. You know, you might be sat here this morning and say, do you know, I don't really want God's charity. I don't want it to be free. You know, I want to earn it. I want to prove myself. I want to show myself to be worthy. All of us have a tendency to say that. We also have a tendency to say, you know, because I've failed here, because I feel unworthy, because I've messed up in my relationships and I continue to mess up in my relationships, because I've made a bit of a mess in my career or in my neighborhood or whatever it is. You know, I just don't feel worthy of the extraordinary invitation to this glorious banquet. I'm consumed with anxiety. I've got mental health problems. I don't feel I'm able to come. But the invitation is extended. And you've got to humble yourself to the freeness of God's invitation to join the kingdom feast. Come, Jesus says. Everything is prepared. There's nothing else to do but just to come. Thirdly, you need to humble yourself to the equality of God's kingdom. The first set of the people the Lord sends out his invitation to are the right crowd, the people you'd expect to be invited to a great banquet. There's neighbors, his peers, his colleagues, his social equals, they're all invited. But they all find ways to get out of coming to the banquet. And the master of the house has to send out his servants to say, bring in the poor, bring in the lame, bring in the outcast, bring in the needy, bring in the weak. What's, what's going on here? 
Those of you who know lots of the historical stuff behind Scripture will know that meals in Jesus' days, both in Jewish terms but also in Roman terms, were highly structured and stratified. So meals often expressed who were the in crowd, who were nearest to the top table, and who were at the bottom, somewhere over there. You were out, or you were in, or you were somewhere in between trying to earn your way to the top table. The ladder, as it's called, of self-righteousness was represented in the place of honor you had in the table. Were you at the top table, or where were you in relation to it? It was all about trying to place yourself and get closer. But radically, with Jesus, the outsiders become insiders around the table with Jesus. And it's a bit uncomfortable sometimes for us, but also what the passage shows us is something that history proves and church history proves. It's this, is the closer you are by education, by vocation, by economics or by class, to the center of social power and economic influence, the more you're going to struggle with the radical nature of the kingdom of God, of the gospel. The teaching of this passage, the teaching of the Bible, also shows that the kingdom of God tends to flow towards those who recognize their need of him. Now, the feast of the kingdom is offensive to so many. If we go out into, um, if we went out into our parish or down into Bath today, you know, the talk of sin, the talk of salvation, the talk of needing a savior, of even Jesus dying for us, of being born again, of forgiveness. To so many, it's offensive. Yet for those who believe in that, those who've given their lives to that, those who've been shaped to that, those who believe in a God who makes us new, where we're born again, where the fullness of the life of the Spirit is available to us, for us to live. Actually, around the globe, particularly if you look globally as Christians, it's those Christians who are seeing some of the most needy and some of the most transform, um, lives transformed. It's in that place of personal salvation and the life of the Spirit that Genesis operates. If you look around Africa, Latin America, Asia, it's the evangelicals and the Pentecostals who are seeing the lives of the poor most transformed. Jesus says the respectful ones aren't going to come. But the people who've gone at night into the, to sleep in the alleys, they'll come. I want you to go out and find them. So what does it mean to go out? It means we have to involve ourselves with the lives of people who have multiple and different needs. To humble yourself enough to befriend the people with needs. If you're going to be humbled by under the commonness or the equality of the kingdom, you have to, we have to realize that we're called to be with, to minister with people not just like ourselves, but to everybody. And lastly, you, be, you have to humble yourself under the priority of the kingdom of God. Why did these people in this passage decide not to come to the feast? If you look carefully in verse 16, it tells they were invited. In verse 17, the servants come back and say, now everything is ready. That must mean that the first time they said they were going to come. They had good intentions. It sounded like a great party. They start out saying, you know, that sounds great. I'll come. Then in the end, they're not able to come. Why? Mostly, probably, because people thought that 
the kingdom of God wouldn't disturb their lives as it is now. These people thought they could be part of the kingdom of God, but carry on doing exactly what they wanted and when they wanted it. Not to be part of a kingdom that disrupts their own agenda, their own goals, and their own priorities. Jesus Christ comes into the world and says, I'm the king. I'm the king. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom first, above all others. My kingdom Love and obedience to me. Seek my kingdom first. And if my kingdom makes it hard for you to, for example, make as much money as you would normally make trying to follow the values of the world, or that seeking my kingdoms mean you don't take the shortcuts in work, in the way you do things, where you behave, what you do, if it's costly in terms of relationships or hobbies or whatever, if my kingdom cramps your style, and you refuse to come, that shows you haven't understood the invitation and don't want to come. I come first, says Jesus. I am your Lord and your King, the one with authority in your life. Today, it doesn't matter how far away this morning you think you are from God, how bad your week's been, or how unworthy you feel. The kingdom of God means no matter how far you are gone, your goneness, your unworthiness, your stuff is no match for the kingdom of God. It's never too late. Never too late. No one is too far. You're never too wicked. No one. You're never too respectable. The kingdom feast of God. And so as we go draw together this morning, I wonder whether have you humbled yourself to God's kingdom this morning? Are you eating at his great bountiful feast in a feast that's full of festival joy? There's a fresh opportunity this morning to commit yourself to live for that. As we share the Lord's Supper, as we bow to after we've sung, it's based on the whole idea of the kingdom feast, the messianic feast. It's a foretaste of that feast to come. This morning, you are invited. You're invited to take part. You're invited to receive. But you're also then encouraged to go out and to share your life, to enable others to experience God's grace, to build community and to go and be involved in mission. We're called to carry on the work that Jesus did. It's why we open our homes. It's why we open this church building. It's why we share meals together with a thank you meal, as far as supper, having a barbecue to welcome Fran in a couple of weeks' time. It's why we do Mike's Munch. It doesn't always have to be fancy. Who could you invite? Who could you go a coffee, share a coffee with? Who could you share tea and cake with? Who's around your table this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to communion, as we come to receive your, this simple meal, we ask that you'd help us realize that as we eat this bread and drink of this cup, we're getting a foretaste of the great feast on the last day in which all pain, all suffering, all tears will be wiped away. 
I ask this morning that you would help each one of us to humble ourselves afresh to your kingdom. Pray, Father, that this morning some people will recommit to follow you, to serve you, and to put your kingdom first above all others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.